Hey, hey, hey. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Sweet and Savage. Well, this Surviving Sobriety episode, Sweet and Savage production. We got you guys from, well, I would say all over the country, but you guys are kind of in the same area, right? East Coast. Representing in the house. Representing. Let me just, I'm going to fix this audio a little bit. It sounds like I messed it up. Is that better? Sounded good to me. Okay. I want to make sure you're coming through clearly. Well, for all of our listeners, you got your girl Lizzie Z here. And... Five foot Jesus, aka 137 foot Jesus, back to share <laughs> some more about surviving in sobriety. Appreciate you. And our, our first timer, oh, knocked my microphone over. I apologize. You want to go ahead and say hello? Hello, my name's Carissa. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, I also heard that you had a podcast as well, and I checked it out, and I was, like, a super fan of the title, mainly because I, well, I eat a lot of peanut butter, but um, I just, (laughs) five foot Jesus is like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) You see me eat, like, three pounds of peanut butter on TikTok Live. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... It's a deceiving title because people could assume that it's about me and my co-host. Um, it's uh, it's called Confessions I've Made to Peanut Butter and Jelly. Um, but the name actually is highly tied to my journey um, as a human and also to my sobriety. Um, you know, I could talk a little bit more about it, but I've just silently made these confessions to literal peanut butter and jelly. Uh, throughout my life, and uh, so that's the significance of it, you know, pretty paramount, where I was alone and just in my thoughts. Okay. Um, I made those confessions, and I just kind of chewed down that sandwich and swallowed it down and moved on. Um, so hmm. our podcast is a lot of trying to remove that, you know, and opening up a platform for people to feel comfortable talking about their traumas, their issues you know mental health addiction recovery all of that stuff that's super awesome i really dig it yeah i feel like you you like it um i do um you know my friend melanie and i were just kind of a happenstance we haven't talked a lot about how we know each other on the podcast yet um it just wasn't the right time sure but that is that episode is coming um you know because of what i'm going through currently in life um but she actually is the person i'm divorcing right now she is his first wife oh Um, shit yeah so you know we have some parallels a lot of differences you know but uh it's been an adventure really getting to know her and you know kind of grabbing each other's hands and running through this journey of life right now we've been friends 
going on for years. So it's been, it's been fun. You know, that's interesting because oftentimes exes of that nature aren't, aren't friends in any fashion. So that's cool that you are. Yeah, we became friends actually while I was still married to him. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's very cool. Yeah, so, you know, and she's kind of walked me through the hell of leaving him, and even when I was staying with him, the hell that was there, too, so. Good she, for, good for her, like, who, whoever Melanie is, like, good, good for her, I like her. That's awesome. Yeah, she's a good. Hmm. Shane, do you have any, I mean, five foot Jesus, do you have any uh, exes that uh, are friends? Mm, yeah, actually, I do. I got a few I'm still friends with. Uh, now, granted, it, it, it's been probably 15, 20 years that we didn't speak. Okay. You know, we stayed friends on Facebook, and you know, if we seen each other out in public, then we would speak, but neither one of us went out of our way to send anybody a message, you know, sure. a phone call or a text or anything like that. But, you know, we, I, I still got some that I talked to, and I, I just recently got back in touch with one that it's been about 20 years since me and her dated, and me and her have really become good friends. Well, me and her never really stopped being friends, you know what I'm saying? Even after we broke up, we still stayed friends on Facebook. Uh, we didn't do the whole blocking thing like most relationships go through and whatnot. We just stayed friends and mutual, I reckon. I reckon. <laughs> That's well, awesome. She, she done got married. She's got kids now. That's something that I'm missing out on is the married thing. I had never been married. I don't know if I ever will be married, but, you know, I'm still young. I still got a lot of time to decide. I'm getting out tonight. You know, I have, a, I have an aunt who's a divorce attorney, and... Um, she says she highly recommends for a lot of people that are really insistent on getting married, she'll tell them, like, if you really want, like, the big wedding, you want the whole, like, shebang like that, she's like, just do it, but just don't sign the certificate. <laughs> she, like, you, uh, you're so either, you're either the that. people that need to go and, like, get married in private, then you don't need the big wedding. Fine, sign the certificate, go do your little tiny, you know, whatever. And you don't you don't have to please all those people, or if you're the person that needs to have the the big, you know, demonstration, then don't sign the certificate. She's like, there's just two types, and then I feel like, hmm, I feel like she might be the person that well, knows. <laughs> I mean, I'd have to agree with that because here in the state of Virginia, the way the marriage law is, if you get married and y'all last longer than 30 days and y'all are still together, married and didn't for divorce or separation or anything like that, half of what I would own automatically becomes half of hers. So if we was to get divorced and she wanted to be a vindictive ass bitch, then we could go to court and she could literally take half of everything I own. I'm 38, almost 39, and basically I got two vehicles and a house, and that's all I got. So if I was to get married to the wrong person, which is a lot of them out there in my area, then I'd be fucked royally. <laughs> I just like how you just come out with it. Vindictive-ass bitch. <laughs> that <Yeah>. should, like, <laughs> we're not pulling any punches. <laughs> this was actually my second divorce. My first one was kind of easy, like uncontested. You know, it was terrible and toxic, and it was my drinking days, so I definitely played into that. Okay. But this one, pretty awful. You know, we were married for 
almost seven years now. Oof. And uh, there is a lot of abuse. Um, so New York State, it's like, you got to be married like one to three years, but it's a common law state. Um, and like equitable distribution and all that. And I'm taken into court, you know, and part of it is material. And he's pretty pissed off about that. But uh, it's not like it's from a vindictive side for me. Like, I'm I'm going through this process because I did. I sacrificed my career to take care of kids. You know, he's doubled his income during our marriage. And uh, he expects me to just walk away for broken homeless. Like, I'm in a, a motel room right now in temporary housing because I left uh, due to domestic abuse and this is how he expects me to live and you know I don't really think that's appropriate I just asked him for help getting a place you know helping me pay the bills for a year and and I would go my own separate way but it's turning into quite a fight and uh, uh, it's not what I wanted but he's pretty pissed about it well so. they usually are when they don't get their way like a a child that got their toy taken away, you know. We're proud of you. Yeah. And um, so I think um, it's, it's important you know that um, sometimes even in that lonely strength, other people are rooting for you. And that is yeah, definitely yeah, not the same as the vindictive the bitch. Is, you know, the hardest thing for somebody in your situation is to get up and leave. That's the hardest that's the hardest part about it all. So I'm proud of you for just getting up and leaving, acknowledging yes. that there's an issue, which I'm, I already know that you knew that there was issue probably for years and just built up long, enough for you to finally say, you know what, I've had enough. I'm out. Yeah. You know, and honestly, it's perfect to be on this podcast right now because the only reason why I was strong enough to say enough is enough is because I'm sober and have been for a while. And I've been doing that work, that inner work, you yeah. know, to get stronger and to be able to set boundaries and realize when someone doesn't respect those boundaries. Um, so I'm really grateful to be sober because I don't think I would have had the guts to just pick up and leave, to be honest. So how long have you been sober for then, can I ask? So actually, Do you keep track? It's November 14th of 2021. Okay. Um, I got, and it was a direct result of um, an incident with him. Um, I was involved in a DWI accident. Um, I was out with friends. We had been separated this time, and I got a text from him that made me feel like he knew where I was, and I panicked. Um, and I just, I left where I was, didn't tell anyone I was leaving, and ended up on the phone with him and just in that hysteria I ended up hitting a parked car Oof. and he was at the scene before the cops were so I feel like he definitely knew where I was yeah um, and it just that night what I experienced you know from start to finish it just made me realize I wasn't the me I knew anymore um in that situation and everything that happened and the days after, I just was like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so I've been sober since that day. And, uh, you know, I chased some mental health 
diagnoses and mental health care, trauma care since then, which I think has been really paramount in me remaining sober. Um, because I felt crazy. I just didn't know what the hell was wrong with me. So um, I was diagnosed with PTSD since that date, specifically derived from domestic abuse. Oh, and, sure. Uh, I'm not really big on medication, but I just, I turned myself over, you know, they prescribed me medication to help me sleep. I wasn't sleeping, wasn't eating, you know, and uh, I think really just turning it over and realizing that I needed some help at that point um, is what saved altogether. Um, because earlier in the year I had attempted uh, suicide in March of 2021, and uh, I just was not in a, in a really good place, but I continued to drink. I used alcohol as my coping skill. And uh, Can, I, can yeah. I interrupt you real quick? I okay. just want to push on that. Um, so you were drinking in, in March, right? And then you said you attempted suicide. Can I just want to push and see how, how did you attempt suicide, if you don't mind sharing? Was it alcohol-related, or...? Um, alcohol was involved. Um, I hadn't been drinking that day. Okay. But it was that he had kind of cornered me in the house. Um, and he just beat me down mentally. Like, made yeah. me feel like I was nothing. I had nobody. And uh, he took my car keys, and he left the house. Um, without going into extreme detail about what the event was about, yeah. but it was pretty much accusing me of cheating. Um, and he left the house, and I just was so broken in that moment that I, I remember I opened a bottle of tequila that was on the counter, and I just took swigs of it, and then I went in the medicine cabinet, and I drank every cough syrup, took every pill that was in, in the cabinet, um, and I had never been there before yeah. and it was so weird looking back on it. It wasn't even like a hesitation. Um, it just was like, okay, this is what we're doing. Um, right. It wasn't I, like I you necessarily that planned that act. It just, that was your, your path. Yeah. Not it. Yeah. It wasn't like I sat there and planned it, but I think I just was so broken in that solitary moment that I just was like, all right, I can't do this anymore. Um, and it was like, even that didn't really wake me up, but that event is what got me involved with victim services and, you know, That's he awesome. had come back to the house then and processing this in trauma therapy. Like, when he found me, he didn't call for help. He he took photos of me. It, it was rough. Like, I knew that, and I, I'm fortunate that I woke up in the morning, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and because there were accusations of uh, drug use as well, I had gone for an unconsent drug screening the next day. And uh, I didn't tell the nurse, obviously, what had happened, but when I peed in the cup, my urine was brown. And uh, she directed me that I should go to the ER because of sign of renal failure. And uh, it just was a very 
real realization that I was very, very, very close to not waking up. Yeah. And uh, it still took me, what, till November, it took me eight more months to really wake up and uh, and get sober. Like, I, I was a rock bottom. I had to hit rock bottom to get sober at that point in my life. I'm, um, I'm so, A, so thankful that you did, but I'm also so thankful and proud of you right now for your bravery and your vulnerability. Like, I, I hope you know that. Absolutely. That's, you should should be proud of yourself as well like it's it's a lot to share that that's this is like heavy stuff you know and it's stuff you carry all the time but you're you're sharing it um and being so brave and open with it that it's like um you know not everybody is is able or willing to do that and it you know we can the right person can hear this you know and maybe maybe the phrase right isn't correct but you know, somebody else could hear this and be inspired that, you know, they may not go another eight months of being in that situation or, you know, um, still, still drinking or, you know what I mean? Like still struggling. And so that's super powerful. You should know that like other people that have been like in that, you know, feeling like they're that lost and, you know, that broken, just struggling to that same, same end. Yeah, um, you know, and I think it's so important for me to share that story now because I did not share that with anyone until probably six months after the fact. Yeah. No one, him and I knew, and my trauma therapist at the victim center knew, but that was it. My family, my friends. Nobody knew it was like this dirty little secret that I kept for a long time. And, um, you know, I believe a lot in the power of stories. Yeah. And, you know, there's so much shame surrounding addiction and recovery, but also attempting suicide that it removes our ability a lot of the times to talk openly about it. Yeah. But, what happens when people speak really openly about their journey is that even without us knowing it, it becomes someone else's survival story. 100%. And they realize that own, and that person can do it, so can I. Yep. And that's all I can hope for is that by sharing so openly, save someone else's life without even knowing it. Yep. Um, and it, it's been hard, but you know, I, I just feel this calling and it's just part of my journey and I'm not going to stop doing it. Um, especially about the domestic, I haven't spoken a whole lot about that yet. Um, but that freight train is coming. Yeah. Too. So it's been difficult, but I'm glad to have platforms like this one where people are willing to give me a place to speak about my story and share openly. I feel I feel like with, um, you know, the domestic abuse and, I mean, all of it truly, but it's like, it's almost like this domino effect of survival that you've had to endure. And it's, you know, it's not over by any means as your body is like still processing and like unpacking it, you'll, you'll be able to like, 
lighten that load and continue to continue to tell the stories in snippets and um that's kind of like what I do truly and um the the more I'm able to talk about certain things you know the the more I'm able to tell other things also you know it's just it, it gets easier um I kind of wanted to ask if you were comfortable with it you said that the one day you were drinking like the tequila straight but I wanted to ask like is that was that your normal drink of choice and like was that the normal fashion or um you know is there a different thing in anything I, I didn't discriminate. I was one of those. Uh, that's you know, if someone asked me something, I was like, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> um, the phrase didn't know. discriminate, I actually just said on the episode that released today. Like, that's, that's my downfall. Is that, yeah. Yeah. If, you know, this isn't my first time sober. I had gotten sober years ago, too. Actually, when I met my current husband, I was sober. Okay. Um, I relapsed under the stress of, of everything, you know. So, like, when I got to this point, finally, like, I knew where to go. I, kno I knew what tools worked for me and what didn't. Um, but I think the really important thing this time is that I started really attacking, like, my childhood trauma. Okay. Because even in the previous time, I didn't really... I don't know. I didn't really like pay no mind to that, um, and that was one of my coping skills. Was just disassociating from it. Um, so, unpacking that has really helped me to learn more about my codependency and all that, you know, all that crazy shit that comes along with childhood abuse and neglect and being raised in chaos. It's weird. So, it's weird how when you're raised in chaos, you you oddly seek it out. You know, you find you find comfort in in chaos when that's all you've known. People sometimes don't understand the psychology behind that. That um, calm can actually be unnerving for those mm -hmm. who uh, who don't know that. Yeah, for sure. You know, the dysregulated nervous system becomes our normal. Yeah. You know, they're peaceful. It's like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Like, this isn't right. This doesn't feel right. Yeah. You know? So it's either we're, we put ourselves around people that are chaos or we create chaos ourselves. Yep. I have actually been the person that, you know, would ask somebody, you know, several times, like, are you sure? Are, are you mad at me? Like, you know, and that's, that's like troublesome. But I'm like, I'm like waiting for a shoe to drop. <laughs> Because I'm like, oh, you have to be mad because it's been too calm here for too long. Something's about to blow. Like, that, but that's just, you know, what I'm predisposed to. I, I'm also kind of wondering then, um, so if um, this being the second time you got sober, did you think it was, I mean, you said you knew the resources to go to right away. Was it easier then or was it like, oh, fuck, I, you know, like, were you were you embarrassed like like or was it just like you know instant like I know right what to do like I'm, I'm pro status like not a rookie or I think there was some hesitation a little bit um just because there will always be some hesitation when anybody gets sober 
It's okay. a big decision, and it's not easy. I can't, re yeah. I, I can't remember, have you ever had that happen, Five for Jesus? Like, did you get sober and then relapse? Or, so, or you got sober and you just uh, stayed sober? So, I've been sober before, but it was for a bit with my parents. And they bet me that if I could go sober for a year, that they would buy me a TV. Now, I, me personally, I don't remember this, but I do remember the TV. I don't remember the bet. Now, my foolish walked out. I thought I could bought the TV, but she sort of looked down that I'd done it for, for, I went sober for a year. I'd done it for a bit between her and dad, and I ended up winning, and they had to go buy me a TV. And they, they say that just as soon as that one-year mark hit, I was right in the backyard of my house drinking beer with all my boys again. Like, like, I mean, like nothing ever happened. Like, I never stopped or nothing. But this is the first time that I've, I've got sober, and I basically put it in concrete that no matter what happens in my life, I'm not going back to drinking. And that's just that because at the end of the okay. day, you already know my health issues. You know, the doctors have already been told me that it would kill me if I continued going like I was because when you're drinking 25, 30 beers every night and shotgunning at least 20 of those, you know, it's not good on your heart. It's not good on, it's not good on anything, you know, right. as far as your body is concerned. So thanks, Mom. But I must say, I, I must say, since I have got sober, this is the best that I've felt. This is the best that I've, I've felt. I don't think that I'm a real good-looking guy, but I think that this is the best that I've ever looked since I've sobered up. And I've got a lot of friends on TikTok, and and you know they they can probably they're probably going to hear this, and and that's fine. I'm if they do hear this, then they need to hear it. But I'll be I'll, I'll be scrolling through TikTok and I'll watch some of my friends' drinking videos and whatnot, and I'll just think to myself, "You look so fucking bad because you're sitting there killing yourself, drinking yourself to death every day." And I just I can't sit there, I can't help but to sit there and think to myself, "Damn." You know, I used to look just like it. I used to be that same person that was on TikTok making all these videos and making these stupid call-out videos and talking shit about somebody else that you're never going to meet. You're never going to meet them, and you're on there making yourself look dumb, and you look bad because you've been drinking for so long, and you're such a heavy drinker that there's anybody that would look at you whether they know you or not, they could tell that you've been doing something. And so with me getting sober, and I've got clear thoughts coming through and, and whatnot, and I get to actually sit back like my mom always said for years. She always said, Shane, all you got to do is get sober. She said, just get sober and just sit back and watch everybody else act like a fool, and you'll see how you actually were when you was a drunk, and it'll make you not want to go drink anymore, and I never would listen to her. But now that I'm sober, I'm sitting back, and I'm just watching the shit show unfold in front of me, and the shit show ain't got nothing to do with me. And I try to tell them, I try to help them, I try to talk to them and, you know, and, and whatnot, but, and they might go sober for a little bit, but just as soon as something bad happens in their life, whether it be real bad or bad, they're right back to drinking. And that just shows that they're not ready to quit. And they can say all day long, they can come to me all day long and say, oh, I'm, I'm ready to quit, I'm ready to quit, but they're always drunk when they say they're ready to quit. That's the easiest thing for somebody that's drunk to say, oh, I'm ready to quit. I think it, it truly has to be like their their own decision. And so they're going to have to be, you know, not altered, right? They'll have to be of a sober mind to want it. You you can't want it for them, right? But As bad as you might want it for them, you, you, you're right. They got to be in sober minds. They need to be sober from drinking at least two to three days to have a, a, a good clear head on their shoulders and 
sit down and make a decision, hey, look, this is what I'm doing while I'm drinking, you know, this, that, and the other. And if that's the decision that they come up with that they're going to quit, then it's a, it's a little bit more likely that they might stick it out instead of deciding, oh, well, I, you know, tonight I'm drunk as hell and I, I want to quit, this, that, and the other. And they say they want to quit, but you know what? The next day comes and they never quit because they don't remember that they said they wanted to quit because they were some blackout drunk the night before. And they just go and get drunk the next day like nothing ever happened, like the conversation never went down. So, you know, like I said, you got to really want it. And I, I tried to quit drinking one time when I was with my baby mama. And that's the wrong reason to quit, but it wasn't for long. It wasn't for you. It ain't something that I was wanting to do. It was something she wanted me to do. So just as soon as she got mad at me, I felt like I needed to be rebellious. And there I went straight off and got drunk with all my friends that I used to get drunk with that she couldn't stand. And then it just done nothing but cause trouble between me and her. And so, moral of the story is, I'm just glad that I ended up getting sober because, like I said, this is the clearest that I've ever thought. This is the best I've ever looked. This is the best I've ever felt. And I'm not going back down that road no more. And, and Chris, he's almost always shirtless. <laughs> Pretty much anywhere I go. If I go into a store, if I go to a store, as long as it don't have a sign on the door that says no shoes, no shirt, no service, I'm going in with no shirt on. I don't care. <laughs> if you can get away with it. It must be a Virginia thing. They must be allowed to do that. In, in Michigan up here, they're not letting that happen. Oh, really? I mean, it, for most of the year, it's cold up here. You're going to need layers, okay? <laughs> you know, I'd be TikToking over here, and I got an electric blanket on. <laughs> Yeah, so no it's cold <laughs> but we got lots of snow usually <laughs> the summertime yeah, yeah, yeah but we don't get a lot of that here <laughs> but yeah, yeah. i mean gonna I... Say, go ahead the weird alcohol you know it takes our body like four days kind of in total to really detox a hundred percent from alcohol but you know there's this conception around it that it's legal right mm -hmm. you know like i'm just drinking like no big deal like it's not like it's you know heroin or cocaine like yeah and uh and it's so readily it available yeah like it perpetuates our use you know and even me like when i say i'm sober from alcohol someone was like wow you were really that bad like drinking every day and and i wasn't that type of drinker i didn't drink every day but when i drank i drank with purpose oh yeah and i was blacked out sloppy mess yep. and um and that's what's really crazy about alcoholics and alcoholism is it looks very different for all of us sure. um and it can still destroy your life even though you don't have legal trouble it invades oh, yeah. your relationships your work life your financial security like everything mm -hmm. you know eventually is is affected um but it's legal right so we excuse it away for a lot longer than we should i think yep you know it's kind of it's kind of funny that you hit on that point because for the last 15 20 years that i was a huge drunk that's exactly how i looked at it i got all my little hard druggy days out of my system when i was in my early 20s uh, i don't really think that there's other than psychedelics, I really don't think that there's really any drug out there that I didn't try in my 20s at least once. 
I got all that out of my system, and I, I just look at it like like you said. I can go to any store that I want to in the state of Virginia or in the United States or in the world, period, and I can go in a store and buy beer as long as they sell it because it is legal. And it always made me feel better about the situation of me drinking it because of the situation at, at hand. It was legal in a store, and it wasn't some drug being sold to me on the street. Yeah. 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 And I think, like, I go back to, because I've been arrested multiple times for DWI. The first time I got sober, that was why I got sober. It was back in 2013. And I remember vividly, like, being in, and I was in a holding cell with other females. And I must have been given that perception that I thought I was better than the other people there. And... The one girl said to me, she's like, you're no fucking different than me. Like, I, I'm, I'm here because I'm an addict and I'm stealing from somebody. I'm doing heroin. She's like, just because you drink, you're not better than me. We ended up in the same place. And I remember being so offended by that. Like, at that time, I was like, what the fuck is she talking about? Like, but that's the reality. It still will bring you to rock bottom, to the same place, getting incarcerated, in trouble, alone, broke, eventually. The same place, yeah. You know, and doing things you're not proud of. Yeah. So, I think I mean, once I realized that, I was really ready to, like, turn right. it over. We, we've talked about it before where we've said... Um, you know, the difference between, like, me or this person is really that, like, I got pulled over and they didn't, right? It's it's not that I was better or that they weren't. It's just that, you know, they got caught and I didn't, right? I, it's not that I was safe to drive. <laughs> I definitely mm -hmm. shouldn't have been. It's just that by the luck of the draw, I didn't get caught, right? And so many people do that or have that have that mentality where it's like well I haven't gotten caught before okay so you didn't hurt anybody today you know that doesn't mean that it's okay it doesn't mean you should should keep doing that you know and the same thing like um if you end up at the same place you end up in the same holding cell and I'm not I'm not trying to eat these like um ramen noodles like that forever you know like that's no way and I am orange is for sure not my color like nope can't do it you know if I'm going to go to jail, it needs to be because I fucking blasted some bitch. Like, it's it's got to be for, like, a good story. Like, it for real. It, it can't be something like that. Like, I just had to. No, it can't be. It's, we need some good stories with it for real. It's, it's going yeah. to have to be something worthwhile. Like, it, I mean, and it probably needs to be, like, more than one person. Like, I need to have, like, even the score, like, John Wick style with the whole line of people. Like, it's just, like, <laughs> I, I'm just saying, like, I need to have made it count. Like, if I'm going to end up in that place, losing all my amenities, like, I'm just, they're going to be, like, with a pencil. Like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm just saying, like, if I'm going to lose some privileges and have to start being told what to do, I don't, I mean, I like, I like being my own boss of things, like, there's no way it wouldn't work out for me. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, in the last episode, I, I told you that I caught a DUI too, it's been a little over five years now, and, you know, since, it, since I've been medically retired, I, I'm not fighting it near as bad, like, a lot of people don't understand that when you get a DUI, 
oh, well, just because you go to court, if you have to pull time or whatever the case may be, once you do all that, take a lot of people that ain't never had one thinks, well, that's over. Well, that's not the case. I mean, it takes years and years before you are done fighting a DUI. And what I mean by fighting a DUI, I'm talking about your insurance goes up for an X amount of years. You got to pay fines. You got to do classes. I had the blow box. I mean, it's just a huge, huge money gimmick. And, you know, you're, you're with the insurance thing, you're like, this is, I'm on the last stretch. I'm on the home stretch of my DUI with my, my insurance and whatnot, being able to come down. And, and it's not, it's kind of shitty because my insurance, at the time that I caught my DUI, the bank owned the title to my truck. And, and I don't know if this is like this throughout the entire United States. I'm sure it is. But in the state of Virginia, if the bank owns the title to any of your vehicles, you are obligated to have full coverage insurance on it at all times until that title is in your hands. If not, they'll come and repossess your vehicle. So when I caught my DUI, naturally, my license got suspended for a year. Naturally, I still had the truck, still had to carry insurance on it. So therefore, I had to carry the SR44 insurance. At the time, it was SR22, and they took that away and moved it to 44. But they made me carry that insurance for a solid year and it didn't count like i had to pay that type of insurance for a year and i'm thinking because i was paying on it that it was actually going towards me paying on it and my my three years that i was supposed to hold it and i go over to the dmv you know like two and a half years later after the first year and i was like hey you know i just want to check on how long it's gonna be before my insurance can come down and get rid of this fr44 because it's getting a little tiresome on paying and I said, I'm pretty close to, you know, to my three-year mark. And she's like, okay, took my information down, went and got everything, come back. She's like, oh, no, you still got another two years to go. And I was like, what? I was like, I thought it was supposed to be three years. And she's like, yeah. She said, but the first year when you paid on your insurance and didn't have a license, she said, the state of Virginia doesn't count that. They don't oh see it. Oh, my God. As the, yeah, so, so she said from the time that I – so you have to you, – you have the choice. All right, so if you want to, like, you have the choice, you have to go get your license so you can get the blow box and, and everything like that because once you get your license suspended, you don't necessarily have to go get your license back if that's something you don't want to do. But if you do, you got to have the blow box, you got to have the insurance and all that. And in order for the blow box and the insurance to even count towards anything, you've got to have a valid license. And that's not something that they tell you in the courtroom. That's not something that they tell you at VASAP. That's not something that they tell you, period. And I don't think that's right. But, you know, in the long run, I, I think I, I learned my lesson because even though I did quit drinking after my DUI, I quit drinking and driving, like 98%. I quit drinking and driving. And, and once I started drinking here at the house, if you ain't coming to get me, whether you was drinking or not, I'm not leaving this house. And that's just the way I was. And it helped me a lot. And it's like you said, you used to drink and drive. You never got caught. But anybody that gets behind the wheel of a moving vehicle that's drunk and goes out there driving, that's playing with fire. That's just yeah. point blank. You might not get burnt that night, and you might not get burnt three months down the road or five years down the road. But eventually, one of them cops is going to pull you over, and they're going to get your ass if you ain't done hit and killed somebody first. Yep. 100%. It'll change your you know, life. It pretty seriously. So I'm in a bunch of hot water as I should be. Um, you know, I'm fortunate that I'm here. I'm fortunate I didn't hurt somebody else, but it's, it's a serious offense in New York State, and especially because I'm a multiple offender now. 
you know, my driving privileges are going to be really fun for like the next 10 years. So 10 years. um, Yeah. Uh, So in New York state, anything within 10 years is an automatic felony. Um, And they have like a look back period of 25 years that where the DMV, it doesn't even matter what the courts do. The DMV themselves will take away your driving privileges. So I'm set to lose my license for five years. And then when I get it back, I'll have to have, as he put it, the blow box, the interlock device for another five years. As I should. I took a lot of choice, like a lot of chances, you know, with myself and with other people. And if the first time I got in trouble wasn't enough, all right, you know, like they were looking to send me to prison. I'm lucky I'm not in prison. I'll take the loss of my driving privileges any day, still be alive and not in prison. Yeah, I mean, if I had to choose between those two, yeah, I would absolutely be thankful and the same. That's for certain. But shit, that's a... Yeah, you know, but I gotta accept it. Choices I made. Definitely. Uh, in the state of Virginia, they're uh, they're starting to crack down on DUIs. They're starting to crack down on a lot of things that deals with alcohol and stuff like that. It never used to be as bad as it is now. Like I got my best friend that I grew up with my entire life from the age of one year old. I, I, he, you know, still talk to him every day to this day. You know, he he had I want to say he's had two DUIs in his life, and his first one was just like a slap on the wrist his second one he got the blow box you know of course the insurance bill and and all that and i don't even he might have pulled three days in jail now me i've only had one my first offense i had uh, almost four thousand dollar fine i had the blow box for six months i had uh, raised that twice which one time i had to pay 450 dollars for the second time it was free because i failed my blow box because look i forgot that some bitch was even on that on my vehicle but you know, I had to spend 10 days in jail, and this is all on my first offense. And like I said, they're just getting harder on it and harder, as they should, because honestly, you never really truly know who was drunk and who was sober behind any wheel of any vehicle going down the road. Can I can I ask, is this, um, like, say, say you guys are talking to people, you know, and like you're sharing your story kind of like now or like somebody's talking to you and they you know they're wanting to get sober or you know they're struggling with sober are these things that you guys tell them like do you tell them like hey man like you don't want to you don't want to go through this or whatnot or is this stuff that like you guys share like as a testimony or or that you do on a regular basis or or that you would you know in my personal opinion anybody that I've ever brought it up to and then like I said this is just my experiences anytime that I've ever brought up my DUI to anybody that says they're trying to quit or still drinking or this that and the other every time they always have the same answer I don't get out here and drink and drive so I ain't got to worry about getting DUI when I know that they do get out there and drive sometimes you know what I'm saying so like one of these days, like I just said a few minutes ago, one of these days, you might not get burned now, but you will eventually get burned. Right. Like said, it took me over 15 years. It took me almost 20 years to catch my DUI. 
Yeah. And you know, Mama played on my ass about that all the time because I was I was real bad about getting drunk and wanting to go and do something. And I didn't want to have the patience to wait on somebody to come and get me. I, I didn't want to call somebody and tell them to come and get me because I guess you could say I was too big at it because I got a vehicle sitting right out there in my driveway that I can go get in anytime I want and go down the road. And so when I would get to drinking, that was my mindset. You know, I, I would I'd get 10, 12 beers in there and I was ready to go party. I was ready to go to somebody's house. So after the DUI, it took some time for me to adjust to get that out of my head. But I, I, I figured it out and it, it, it worked out for me. But, you know, at the end of the day, you fuck around with fire, you're going to get burnt. Well, and maybe not even in just terms of, like, the DUI aspect, but, like, um, like for Carissa, like sh- she was saying, um, it was getting sober that was what gave her, like, the strength and the clarity to, to do the inner work to leave the, the toxic, abusive relationship, right? So I feel like that's a really strong, strong testimony to, to share with other people that's, like, they you know they should know or or need to know or you know I, I don't know exactly how to put that really but like that's so powerful that you know had had you not gotten sober you know you could still be in that that situation and still be being abused regularly but it's like getting sober is what ultimately freed you from all of that you know yeah um, it, um, so believe it or not, me speaking on my DWIs, it's not the first thing that I go to when I share my story, you know, um, you know, legal troubles is just, I don't know, it's like a sidebar for me. Okay. But what I talk a lot about is for my entire life, I was in this room, right? And the monsters were always in it. I just got really good at turning the light switch off and then I could forget about them for a little while. But it got to a point where that room was so full that even with the lights out, I couldn't deny that the monsters were there anymore. Um, And the most powerful me getting sober was not to avoid legal troubles. It was to heal myself, to have a better experience than the hell I was living in my head. By the time I had gotten to that point in November of 2021, it was literal hell inside my head every single day. And uh, so many people don't realize that our addictions are a byproduct of our traumas. And until you face those traumas or, or whatever has affected you, you know, that has led you to use unhealthy coping skills, right? you're not a sober. Right. You know, and getting sober helped me focus on that finally. You know, all the things from childhood I never really spoke about. Um, you know, as an adult child of an alcoholic and addict, um, There were things I didn't even say out loud, even to my mother who put me through it until August of last year. And I'm I'm almost 38, and my mother was in active addiction until I was nine. So it's been like 27 years she's been sober, and I've never said any of this out loud until last year. 
feel like speaking um, about it is so powerful in itself. Addressing it with her had to have been yeah. something. Did well, it did it improve things with her or did it change things or So my relationship with her has always been strained. Um always. Um, I had a brother that was like the golden child. Um, and everything just kind of went back to normal for him once my mom was sober. But it wasn't that way for me. I was the angry kid. Um, and I wanted someone to process that with me. And she didn't want to do that. Um, and it, it just drove a, a bigger wedge in between us because her response was, well, I'm sober now. I'm not going to pay for this for the rest of my life. Um, so, you know, last year it kind of came to a head because she was just coming after me, doing the same stuff she always does. Um, she has a habit of trying to get physical with me, like antagonistic, and I won't do that because that's my mother um, and she put me in that position last year again and actually one of my friends Melanie that I spoke about earlier she went after her too and this is a sober woman in her 60s um, good lord and I just I find yeah I just it, it opened the dam pretty much and it just all came rushing out one day and, you know, I kind of listed off all these things to her, you know, some I won't mention on here. It's really heavy, heavy shit. But some of the things that went on that she never acknowledged, like it's like people write books about this and you don't yeah. believe that this kind of shit has happened to people. Right. And uh, and I just I was like, you never processed any of that with me. And you just expected me to move on and grow up and be a productive human. You know, and you don't get to tell me how I heal myself from the trauma you brought into my life. Exactly. And because it was when I started speaking very openly about my story. Part of it is part of her story. Right. And she doesn't like that that's becoming public knowledge. Um, and she tried to kind of stifle that. And I just pretty told her, like, I get to tell my story. Yeah. Even though part of it. My story doesn't go away, and you don't get to tell me that I can't share it anymore. Right. Um, I spoke so on this yeah. the other day, yeah. at, um, actually, about, um, I don't know, there was a meme I saw. Um, usually it's some sort of meme or quote that will trigger something like that with me, and it was better worded than I can say, but similar to what you just said, and it was just like, if you played a role in my story and um, whether it was good or bad and I'm I'm sharing it I'm speaking on it um, you, you don't get to have a say in like my retelling of it because that is my story right whether like I said it was good or bad too bad you know um, and the same thing for the healing of it like you don't have a, a say in how I heal from it and you don't have a say in how I feel about it now and I think I think people need to really really remember that um, in how they go about things, you know? It's like you don't owe her an explanation, 
you don't know owe anybody else an explanation either you don't owe us an explanation even in it now like you were entitled to your feelings you're entitled to how you felt then as a child then as you grew up as you process it still and and going forward and um it's um it's why we did the hashtag fuck that guy um started in like episode nine because it's like uh yeah nope nope fuck that guy um that's really all there is to it um because you're you're entitled right like you you are allowed to claim those feelings as yours and they might change and evolve over time right but that that is yours and your reality and nobody should make you feel bad for it especially if they played a role in you having that feeling you know but outside of that nobody should make you feel bad for it either you know if they want to, they could call me. I'll talk to them. <laughs> That's what everybody laughs, okay? <laughs> We're all in recovery from something, right? Even those of us that we call normies that don't have, like, addictions to substances. Like, we're recovering people pleasers, you know. Oh, sure. You know, yeah. any other amount that we can be recovering from. And that's one of my things is... A re recovering from people pleasing i did that a lot with my mother and even yeah. with this ex and other relationships and again i was not strong enough until i got sober this time to finally set that boundary with my mother right um and it led down the road where i removed her from my life unfortunately because i set a boundary that i just I'm not willing to allow her to cross anymore. Um, Good for and you. Being quote unquote sober for 27 years, she's coming up on 28 in July. It doesn't mean you're healthy. It right. doesn't mean you've done the work, and I'm I'm figuring that out now. Um, you know, but I'm grateful for that. That's what I speak about, like when I am talking to others about my story and my journey and why it, it's important to get sober. Because you know what? Staying out of legal trouble is going to be a byproduct of your sobriety. Sure. Um, the reasons that are going to get you sober and keep you sober is that inner work, feeling that you deserve a better life, that you don't want to live that hell in your head anymore, that you want better relationships with your spouse your friends your work uh your kids any of those things you know yeah i would agree with that so what do you think yeah five foot jesus you think you had to do a lot of inner yes, work when you got sober do you think i had to do a lot of what you think you did a lot of inner work when you were getting sober No? I'm probably going to be one of the rarest people that you'll ever meet in your life that just made a decision to get sober because of the situation that I was in. I made the decision to get sober the day that I was laying in my hospital bed and my doctor, my heart, my newly found heart doctor, come in and he said, hey, I'm diagnosing you with severe heart failure, blah, 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 this, that, and the other. And while he was talking, I didn't hear anything else but heart failure, and my mind just started racing. And I made it up right then and there. I'm done drinking. I looked him square in the face and cut him off. And I said, okay, I'm done drinking. And, like, the biggest relief on my doctor's face that I 
just met like a day before him telling me that I'm being diagnosed with severe heart failure. Like, he told me, he said, I'm going to be honest with you. He said, I'm glad that you made that decision. He said, I really hope you stick with it. He said, because at the rate that you're going, he said, if you wouldn't have told me that you was going to quit, he said, I was about to tell you next, I was going to give you six weeks to live. And I told him, I said, well, I like breathing and I want to stay above ground. I said, I got too many people that I want to irritate before I go on the ground. So, <laughs> you don't, you don't but, think flexing that like willpower was like some said, inner work? Honestly, I'll be the, I'm probably going to be the rarest person that you ever meet that I struggle. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I have my days. That's, that's, that's a given. I'm, I'm 358 days sober right now. And I still have my days where I want to go and get drunk. And, and I have my cravings and, and whatnot. Do I have anything that I do to help me get through that? Other than talking to people on the internet, you know, that's about all I got. Because uh, I know in the back of my mind that no matter how bad I want to go back down that road, I can't go back down that road. Because at this day and time for me, it's it's either my life or do I want to continue drinking. And I'm choosing life over drinking because it's not that important to me anymore when it used to be the most important thing in my life. But it's not anymore. You don't think that like having that willpower and making those positive choices you don't think that is inner work you don't think that is is making making a healthy choice i think you know it is making a healthy choice because it was either i gave up drinking or i was going to die because there was no in between for me you know like once i start drinking i'm wide open if i buy a 24 pack and i start drinking while 24 i'm just going down yeah, and that's just how I was. So yeah, I, you know, if you since you want to look at it like that, then yeah, there was a little. You, I would say there you was some started that organization. Because, you're sharing your story. You're, you've been working with me on the podcast. Like you've been working with other people. You've opened yourself out there to share your testimony. Like all sorts of things, and you're you're making this day in and day out effort every single day to say I'm putting my health first because what well because you want to annoy a bunch of people above ground right like whether you're going to be like you know saying it's just like out of pure stubbornness or not like you're saying that I'm going to choose what if I'm in the eye of the hurricane I'm going to choose to be sober rather than give in to that craving you don't think that that has a lot to do with like that inner work rather than because i i think it does like i i feel like you got to be doing some inner work inside to say that um i'm gonna do this instead of that so others you don't do that if you're just very selfishly getting sober yeah you know you don't powerful right i mean Yes, we, we've talked about all the healing that there is in sharing your story, right, for yourself. There is tons of healing in that. But there, we know that there is healing for others when you share your story. And you creating, um, I'm going to say it, say fucking organization, and then that sounds terrible. But you're <laughs> you need to talk about your, your program <laughs> so I don't fuck it up. But... You know, you don't create something like that to be available for other people struggling. You don't come on a podcast and say, hey, I'm here for you if you're struggling. Let me help you so that you can stay sober, right? 
you don't you don't do that like and want to be available for somebody and say look i'm on tiktok and i'm on the sober side like don't be on the drunk side come come with me and be on the sober side if you're not trying to do some inner work and try to try to help other people like that that's got a definite different purpose to it so you should, yeah, like, you should be proud of when, that when, when i made when i I don't know if I got a word this. So when I created American Sobriety Society, it was with me and a really good friend of mine who has actually turned back to drinking, and there's no end in sight for him right now, and that's fine. You know, people that try to get sober, they have to do it on their own terms. You know, they have to be ready when they're ready. He thought he was ready, and he went for almost five months, and then now, you know, some stuff happened in his house him and his spouse and everything and he went back to drinking because let's just face it at the end of the day when you're recovering from alcohol and, and whatnot and something bad happens it's the easiest thing to fall back on because it's the fastest way to forget what's going on in your life at that very moment but what people fail to realize is you got to wake up to it the next day so what are you going to do you're going to pick up a beer can again and keep going so you can mask it you got to face it sooner or later right but at the end of the day, you know, I, me and him come up with it, and, you know, it's, it's it was supposed to have been hashtag ass, but because it's spelled A-S-S, they won't allow you to have that hashtag because I guess they think that it might be for something else that could be pornographic or whatever the case may be. I, I never really got into why I couldn't create that hashtag, so the hashtag is American Sobriety Society spelled out all one word. Um, okay. I got, you know, I don't have a lot of people in the group. Uh, I have noticed in since I started this group, just because somebody comes along to me and they say, hey, look, I, I want to get sober and I'm going to get sober. Can I join your group? And I'm, I'm all for it, you know, join, you know, but here lately, they don't last very long at all. And one of my best friends is actually in this group. And I'm going to be honest with both of y'all. I, I never seen him getting sober in sight, you know, because he was about like me. He was a sloppy drunk. He would get on TikTok. He would make call-out videos and, and just make a complete idiot out of himself. And he come to me one day, and he told me, he said, you know, you've been a real big inspiration to me. And he said, uh, I got some issues going on at my house. And he said, the alcohol is the problem. And he said, I, I want to quit. And he said, will you be there to help me go through this journey? And I said, absolutely. And he wanted to join my group, and I said, "Come on, man!" I said, "Get in," you know. And he he went out and he done made uh, hats and stuff like that with American Sobriety Society on it. Hashtag ass. I mean, it, he's really taken it a step further than what I have. And honestly, I, I'm just tickled to death to see that he's sober because he sent me a message. He's supposed to come spend a weekend with me this weekend. And he sent me a message. He said, I can't come. He said, I got a lot going on right now at the house. You know, him, him and his wife was in a, in a mix of arguments and stuff. And uh, I didn't know that, you know, that's what it was. He just said he had a lot of stuff going on. And, uh, the first words out of my mouth was, man, you ain't got to worry about coming down here. I get it. You know, it's an hour and a half drive. I, I fully understand. And I told him, I was like, just promise me that no matter what you got going on right now, that you're not going to relapse and fall back on drinking. I said, because at the end of the day, it's not worth it, man. And he sent me a message and he told me he said you ain't got to worry about that he said you're my inspiration and he said i've, I've got a 
bull head on my shoulders. So then days of me getting drunk and drinking is over. And, and to be honest with you, it was like a thousand pounds had been lifted off my shoulders just to see that message come from him because I was so worried that I was about to lose him too back to alcohol. And, and, and like I said, it was just a thousand pounds lifted off of me. That has to be a super good feeling. I feel like that's also a reflection of all your inner work. So, like, speaking of the, the good feeling, so I take everybody's sobriety a little personal that comes into my life and, and they say, hey, I want to get sober. And Lizzie, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I pull for them very, very hard. Like, I'm one of the, the, the best persons that they could have in their corner that's trying to help them and, and pulling for them. And so when they... When they don't contact me or they don't come to me or whatever and say, hey, I got this going on, I'm about to go get drunk, maybe you can talk me out of it, get me off of this ledge. When they don't do that and they just go out and they get drunk, and then I happen to come across a video of them shotgunning beers on TikTok or, you know, maybe the next day they might come to me and tell me they went and got drunk and they apologized and this, that, and the other. You know, a piece of me goes with them. Yeah. So, like, it hurts my feelings and a piece of me goes with them. But, you know... For the ones that are doing good and continue to do good and, and, you know, they they reach out to me when they have bad days and whatnot. And for them to continue to, the struggle and the fight, it is an amazing feeling that, to know that, you know, they're fighting, they're doing really Sorry. good. And, you know, everything in their life is starting to fall back into place instead of falling apart when they was drunk. I messed up my microphone. Can you still hear me? Lizzie, I don't hear you. Am I? Can you hear me now? Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Shoot. My bad. <laughs> Did you hear the loud bang? No, you good. As I was as I was preparing you guys for this episode, I told you there's. It seems like there's always something sometimes when I got somebody from across the country. <laughs> like shoot we just roll with it <laughs> yep. yeah I, I, I appreciate you guys being so patient and um willing to just go along for the ride i i don't know if i did tell you this but we are we are and we have been streaming on twitch um i know that was the plan and i know we talked about that but um so we somebody is watching i it doesn't show me how to tell um or if it does i'm not um you know, tech savvy enough to know. So, um, somebody's watching this stream. That's cool. If I think. I, if I had to guess, that would be my really good. That would be my really good friend Jane. She's uh, from the UK. Okay. So that's cool. Um, hopefully, um, if not, um, they're seeing me just like bash my microphone, <laughs> and that's awkward. <laughs> but yeah, so um, I am gonna try to stream more of these episodes on on Twitch and then upload them to my YouTube channel, you know, going forward. And um, like I said at the beginning, I don't know if I actually said this when we started the episode or if I said it before we we started it, but I'll be taking this series, right? We started it and it didn't really have a name and I don't know, um, you guys are more than welcome to weigh in on it now or in the future. Um, if you feel like I should change like the title of it or you have any ideas on it, I'm, I'm interested in everybody's opinion um, and other people's as well as we get more people that are sharing their story and 
Of course, we'll want more updates from everybody along the way. Um, 137-foot Jesus, we're going to get more from you and definitely more from Carissa as we go on. Um, and she gets out of the hotel and um, continues to just move move up. And um, I, I, now I want to be like, moving on up, whatever that song, um, you know. Um, but you know, um, cause it's like, um, also hashtag fuck that guy. Um, <laughs> I um, see, I, sometimes the ADHD just really fucks with me, but um, if people are not like in here in the room or like have spent any actual time with me, they're just like, this bitch is off her rocker. But you know, cause I do have that caffeine addiction too, that escalates things like, whew. but yeah, um, we'll definitely have to get more of, <laughs> Carissa's story, but um, I so appreciate everybody's vulnerability and sharing everything and your openness. It, it means so much to me, but it also, I, it touches so many other people. I don't know if people like reach out to you guys or if they have been already, uh, 137 foot Jesus. Um, but like people do, like they blow up my inbox. Um, so I am going to alter some things and make sure all my social media is aligned by the same name, you know, because I've been, you know, sharing it, but it's a lot of it's by my personal name. Um, so, um, I mean, I still want people to be able to, to mention stuff, but if you didn't know, if I haven't said that to you directly, but people have been really just like loving the episodes and super inspired. And I think it goes right along with what you said. And I think um, especially the stuff that Carissa shared today, um, you know, if you didn't know already, um, that's the whole basis of um, this platform in particular is to raise awareness um, for suicide prevention. Like the goal um, in, in its entirety is to give a safe space for that um, after losing um, Paige, who um, just was everything. And um, as, as this evolves, I hope I'll be better able to talk about that, but, um, you know, um, it's in on pretty much everything where it says, like, I got your six, and I'll hold out hope for you, and, it, you know, my TikTok says, like, to write love on her arms, and things like that, and, you know, um, as, a, as, as a dispatcher, like, I take plenty of calls of similar nature, and I have to wonder, um, you know, how the 911 call went for her, etc., um, obviously it didn't pan out very well, but, um, you know, um, while most of the episodes are like humorous and they might involve things like terrible dating and like dick pics and all that, the goal is to ultimately like push the envelope and bring other issues to light and, um, you know, not shy away from it, anything, right? Anything ever. Um, and all the things that are like not talked about because they're taboo for one reason or another because somebody somewhere probably who is dead um, because you know they had a tradition or whatnot and they said we couldn't talk about it um, you know I just want to continue to be like well fuck that guy and we're gonna talk about it you know um, and stop mm -hmm. feeling like we are not allowed to because somebody else said so right um, yeah and um, that's my um, soapbox ramble with the squirrel on top. Um, <laughs> yeah, but um, I think in, um, like I always say, like we need to give each other grace and that there's so much um, healing in being vulnerable and bravery with that too, but it can be so hard. And um, 
like James uh, was very open about how many times he rescheduled on me and um I especially um, love that, like I said to Carissa, I was like, you, you want to do it? Like, you ready? Let's go. And she was like, ripped the Band-Aid off, like went for it. She wasn't really given a lot of opportunity to reschedule. Um, so there's that. But um, man, like James is a rescheduling motherfucker. Um, <laughs> love him to pieces. But like, <laughs> yep, if, give, yeah, if given the opportunity, he is going to reschedule at least twice. Um <laughs> And, um, yeah, still love him dearly. If I could get to the button right now, I would, but I, I don't know how to when that's happening. So, um, <laughs> yeah, um, I do want to add, um, with all of this, and it happens to be June, so it's still Men's um, Health Month. And, um, you know, despite all the times I'm like, well, fuck that guy. Um, the number for anything suicide prevention related is 988 and so of course anybody can always call that number or you could call 911 which will get you your nearest 911 dispatch um, whatever it's going to ping off of whatever one so you get your your most local one just depending on where you are at um, a lot of people don't understand how that works um, but you could call 988 or um, you know there's any various medium in which you can contact me it's always in the notes of any episode so whether it be this episode or any previous one um one thing with that that I like to be intentional about is that we say that you know people don't reach out right you, you don't reach out to your your friends um and I I don't mean that like in a bad way but like truly like when you're at your low points like when you're super broken feeling like you were mentioning Carissa like you you don't usually reach out for help right we just don't we we're more likely to self-destruct before we're going to reach out and um so that's that's fucking awful right so in that note we have to be checking on the people that really matter um we have to be checking on our people that are in our circle we have to you know we have to just be checking on on our people right if you haven't heard from somebody in a while or um um, I, I don't even know how to, how to word that. Like, just, just check on your fucking people and, um, see how they're doing, um, and whatnot. Because I know, like I've said before, like I would be likely dead on, in a ditch before I'm going to reach out and ask for help. And, um, that's something that, that, um, I have to work on as far as my own work goes and that I have to get better, right? At asking and saying like, Hey, I, I need to talk to somebody, right? And, you know, I have improved in that slightly um, because really I'd rather not be dead in a ditch before I'd be so stubborn and asking for help and saying like, hey, let's just, you know, talk for a minute. Um, like one of my absolute best friends, uh, Lauren After Dark, I, um, her and I will do this thing where we hermit and um, I had to reach out to her and I said, are you still hermiting? And she said, yeah, and okay, so then I wasn't going to bother her, right? But then she says, well, but you know, I'm still available for a phone call. Okay, so then, you know, we ended up talking on the phone for like five hours. Um, but like, you know, I had to like kind of like dip my toes in the water first. So along with that, I just wanted, wanted to make that clear and, you know, be intentional with that, that I would, of course, be available for either of you or anybody else. Um and you're, you're more than welcome to reach out, um, but that I will also try to be more available in, in um, checking as well, even though I 
suck at that. Um, and I, I shouldn't laugh so much with that, but I, I mean it because um, I'm just imagining James in this fucking snap stories because he'll be like, she she doesn't answer the first two. It's the third or the, you know, what's he always say with that five foot Jesus? He's like, she ignores the first one. And that's, this, I don't know. He's got a whole pattern to it. But um, yeah, it's, he does. it's just because he's, 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 he's off the wall all the time. I just gets I first of all I turn off all the notifications because I can't handle it, and so then when I open it, then I just reply to whatever is the most recent one. <laughs> That's what I do, and um, he doesn't like that. But um, I'm old, okay? I'm old, and I like people to just call. <laughs> That's what I like. Um, That's how it works for me. So, anyways, um, we didn't cover nearly all the stuff that I would like to. Um, and so, like I said, I definitely would like to pick your guys' brains way more in the future. Um, as long as you're willing to let me ramble on in the future, I'd love to hear more of your story and um, have you back. And I'm so appreciative and thankful Absolutely. that you are here. I will. In here. Anytime. Awesome. I'm, I'm so glad. And I just want you to remember that um, you need to give each other grace, give yourselves grace, and, um, you know, be really, really fucking proud of all the shit you've already gone through and, and survived, and um, I'm, I'm holding out hope for both of you. Yeah, for everybody after uh, a minute, they've survived 100% of their worst days so far. Yes, yes, that is so accurate, I love that. I think that's such a good thing to remember, like, when you're at that fucking, I don't know what to call it other than I feel like the bottom of the barrel, like, when you're just at, you know, or the bottom of the well, or just that low point, like, you already survived the, the worst. I have a meme somewhere, I'll have to find it and send it to you, it's, um, I'm, I made this one, so, um, I can, it's just, um, the Gamora quote, if you ever saw the, the movie, um, what is it, um, Oh, my sister would fucking kill me for this. Um, I know what you're talking about. Uh, she says, whatever nightmares the future holds is nothing compared to what's behind me, right? So I just took that quote and I put it on like a picture of the galaxy. Guardians of the galaxy, there you go. But yes, but that quote for me is like, oh, yes. So whatever could be so bad ahead of me. <laughs> Oh man, it's it's nothing compared to what I've already already survived, right? So, for everybody mm -hmm. listening, I feel like that's so true. Also, I will tag your guys' social media in the notes as long as you guys are okay with that. All right. Oh, absolutely. Awesome, and thanks so much that. for joining us. I'm gonna close this out with this song, um, "Till It's Gone" by Yale Wolf, and this will be on my Spotify playlist like usual. This uh, um, playlist is called uh, Surviving Sobriety Mashup. For everybody else listening, thanks for joining us on Twitch and Discord, and you know where to find me.